the first thing I heard when I connected was it is a bright sunny day now, which is nice. It's very nice to and realize you were talking about something completely different, but I would choose to accept that as a compliment to myself. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's always a bright sunny day whenever you whenever you're here. Thank you kindly. Now let's talk about a really miserable football game. Right. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Super Bayern Podcast. Bayern Munich crashed out of this season's Champions League tournament in, disappo- in a disappointing draw with Villarreal on Tuesday. Substitute Samuel Chukwueze's late goal being the dagger that ended the Bavarians' hope of European glory this season. And with the dust now settled and a day to collect our thoughts, we're here to talk about what went wrong for Julian Nagelsmann and his team and discuss the implications this match should have going forward. Well, I'm Benjamin Scott, and I'm joined by my friends Garrett Kerber. Greetings. And Tim Richards. Hello there. And so before we get started to to the listener, and then Garrett and Tim as well, uh, this is going to be a less structured episode than usual. We're just going to talk about the game, the result, uh, maybe a little bit of both games thrown in, what this is going to mean for the club going forward. Uh, And we will try to keep any rants that may begin to uh, as short as possible, but we can't make any guarantees um, on that front. But yeah, I mean, Tuesday, it kind of all went went poorly for Bayern Munich. A uh, game against Villarreal, it ended in a draw, but Bayern lose the tie on aggregate. And I mean, you really just have to ex- have expected more uh, from the team, from Julian Nagelsmann and his men. The lineup that he sent out was um, suspect, overloaded with attackers, not a whole lot of uh, defensive midfield help. That being said, I think the back line played excellently on Tuesday, but I think what's most disappointing for me, and I'll turn it over to you, Tim, pretty quickly to talk about this, is that we had a full Allianz Arena um, for for like the first time in in a very long time. And Tim, I actually know you were able to go to the game for the first time in a very long time. And so for the fans to be fully behind you and for that team to still fall short, um, it's it's extremely disappointing. So uh, Tim, why don't you walk us through um, what you saw uh, happening with Bayern Munich, what led to the, the disappointing, I don't even want to say collapse because it's not like we were ever in control and fell apart. We just never really reached a point where it seemed like we were going to grab the game and go through. But what went wrong for, for the club? Uh, was it the tactics, tactics, the players? What did you see? It, it's. I think it's one of these games where, like, depending on if you're a half-empty, half-full kind of person, that will tell that will tell quite a lot about how you see the game. So I, I can't really work out if it's like my own bias of, of wanting Nagelsmann to succeed, wanting to see Sane do well, wanting Upamecano to do well, getting emotional every time I see Jamal Musiala on the screen. I, full disclosure, I almost cried. I, I very nearly cried when his name was called out. I have nothing but immense pride and joy for everything he's achieving. Um, but in, in terms of how the game went, I think seeing like being in the stadium for the first time in two years to have it to have it full absolutely packed like I know that you can't have like a full capacity in the Champions League but it felt like it felt like 75,000 to have all of these have to have all of the fans there always like cheering on everything that Bayern were doing applauding all of the tackles that that were being made like I think Upamecano did fantastically 
and everybody was like really behind him. Um, everybody was like cheering the names when they were being read out, like huge, like huge cheers for for Nagelsmann when when his when his name was read out. And then to see it end was really quite a shame. The way that I the way that I see the game going was Bayern were the stronger team, supposedly. Um, I, I think I saw, I, I was watching something earlier about, there was two guys talking about the Liverpool and Man City dynamic. One of them was saying that like a football match isn't one gauge between, oh, it was going to this, it was going to this team or it was going to this team. Instead, it's it's both. You have to look at, yeah, these, these people are doing well. Um, so I think the way that they were talking about it was that, you know, Man City were doing really, really well, but that doesn't mean that... Um, like that doesn't mean that Liverpool were doing really badly. Um, I, I think in terms of how Bayern were doing against Villarreal, Bayern were doing well. They they pressed really well. There was a lot of energy. There was a lot of speed. There was a lot of aggression as well. But that doesn't mean that Villarreal weren't in control, because as like as the time kept on going down, I was very aware one nil wasn't good enough. Two well, you maybe make the argument two nil isn't good enough either because. In theory, Bayern should be winning this. Should have been winning this game by more than like, I don't know. You don't want to be greedy and say they should have been winning it five nil, but they needed like a really, really big result. And while Bayern were attacking more, they seemed to like have the ball more. They were. I felt they were really unfortunate with a lot of decisions. I don't think the referee did very well. But you know, when you start talking about the referee, then you start thinking, okay, well, you are going to be biased, and like I'll, I'll fully. I'll put my hands up for that to say maybe I was biased. I do think the referee did quite poorly, but that's that's my own perspective. As good as I thought Bayern were doing, it was so apparent Villarreal could handle it and their game plan was we can get a goal at the end because Bayern have been very suspect defensively for for years now. And I think any team that can attack at pace will, and, and like any manager worth his salt, I think Unai Emery got a really, really bad reputation when he was in England for absolutely no reason at all. He is a very, very good manager. And I really don't think, you know, I think this is just another thing added to him. Like this shouldn't be considered the highlight of his career. I think he's he's got a fantastic career already. This is just another thing that he's been able to do. It really did seem like that even if Bayern were in control or they were, if they had like the advantage, like they had more more speed or like if they had more shots, if they had more possession, they were making more passes, whatever. Villarreal's game plan was, it, it was very evident from the very start. And so I, I think to go to that concept of two gauges, you know, Bayern, Bayern could have done really, really well playing the way that they did. But ultimately, Villarreal were comfortable. Um, and so with that, you kind of have to start thinking that this game, well, the, the tie wasn't lost on on Tuesday or, or Wednesday, whenever it was. I've, blur, I've blurred out the last few days, sadly. Um, it wasn't lost then. Like It was lost in the first leg when you, we didn't get a single goal. And uh, it's it's just, it's a big shame. Like It was, it was a very sad... I would say like homecoming. I'm not. I'm not from Munich, but that that whole stadium and and like the city, like being there for the first time in so long, 
it was an unbelievable feeling and then to just get knocked out like that mm. when i just i knew it was coming like i i i don't think I don't know. I, I think you can maybe justify some of the things in terms of you put out an attacking lineup because they were so defensive in the first game. Maybe that makes sense, but then you start thinking, okay, but Sane's not really done well as a right winger. He's probably going to do even worse as a right wing back. Um, I think like it makes sense to play Coman. I think that was good. Maybe putting Davies on instead of Hernandez. I know that the belief was, wow, this is a really terrible idea. Then Nagelsmann was saying, well, he's got the injury, so you need to take that into consideration. I don't know. There, this was this was really frustrating um, to see it go the way that it did. And um, it's sad, but I know that it isn't the absolute worst thing that's ever happened to the club. But in, in the current situation, Bayern really should have done like so much better. I apologise. I've spoken for about half an hour, <laughs> no, so no, we no. should probably start playing playing the outro at some point. <laughs> No, no, it's all it's all good for sure. Um, let's talk about that lineup that you kind of had mentioned for for a second. Uh, like you said, Leroy, San- Leroy Sané was kind of asked to play this right wing back. Maybe my hot take for today is that he actually didn't do that bad, um, especially in the second half. I thought that he there was a period in the second half that Byron played well, and I think that he uh, was the main creator of those chances, but. Sané is a right wing back, Coman as a left wing back. They're not really wing backs, they're those joker positions, but Kimmich and Gretzka in midfield, of course, Muller, Lewandowski, and then Jamal Musiala, uh, and then a back three of Pavard, Upamecano, and Hernandez. I saw that lineup before the game, and it was really easy to see that this team was going or would be vulnerable to being exposed on the counterattack, which is kind of frustrating because that's kind of the way Villarreal played uh, in the first tie and got their goal. But do you think Nagelsmann maybe pulled a bit of a Pep Guardiola there uh, in overthinking the tactics a little bit? Or do you think the the idea of let's swarm the opponent, let's absolutely just try and, you know, choke them out, uh, do you think that was the best approach and it came down to players missing chances and um, not performing at their best that is the reason it didn't work? Yeah, I, I do think it's 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 probably like a mixture of both. I, I I do I do agree that Sane could quite easily be seen as one of the worst, but at the same time, he's being played in a in an unfamiliar position. Just generally being played on the right, it's like long established. This isn't like that's not the best place for him. Um, I do think that he did like he's. The biggest criticism against Sane was like he doesn't have like he doesn't track back like he puts in no effort defensively. Completely the opposite from from what I saw earlier this week. Like he was always willing to to run back and and help in defence when he when he could. And and same with Coman as well. I think the way that Coman's taken to that to that position has been really really great to see. Um, and and also like the improvement in Sane's defensive game has been has been wonderful as well. I can kind of understand potentially why you would want to play Sane on the right as opposed to on the left, because if Villarreal are going to be defending so deep as they did in the first game, because in the second leg, they've got even more reason to defend even deeper. They've got their goal. Like they don't need to really try for anything as long as they can just hold on. You don't necessarily want to have somebody whose maybe his best asset is his speed 
and being able to run like at pace at a defender because if your if your back line is basically in the penalty area there's not really much of an opportunity for speed to be used as an asset so in in that sense then maybe you know maybe sane was was better positioned because he has that close dribbling and maybe it's better used um you know maybe it's better used on on the right than it is on the left um but at at the same time that this goes back to like this conversation that I've been having with with myself and and you guys and so many people for so long is that you can't have somebody play like Iron Robin without somebody like Philip Lahm behind him i think every time i see sane struggle or or anybody struggle in the in that inverted winger position i i think just how good iron robin was because it's obviously a very very difficult thing to do like to have that sort of agility close control and then also be able to get a shot that's powerful enough um because it's it's easier to from my very limited experience playing it's always easier to shoot a cross goal than it is to kind of place it into a corner like in terms of like getting mm-hmm. like getting speed and power on a ball but i think for as long as Bayern don't have somebody to help out on that left so- oh, um not on the left side uh, on the right side whether that is um like philip lahm going to to the right back position like he did in the champions league tournament um in 2020 or if it is potentially Masraoui coming in next season if Bayern don't have somebody like that who can offer assistance on the right wing whoever is in that position is going to struggle because on on Tuesday it was Leroy Sane in the weeks before that it was Serge Gnabry like it isn't I don't know maybe it is a coincidence that that these guys are just like a little bit inconsistent and struggling for form but there is that like there is that common denominator of but the guy who's on the left wing is doing really well because you've got Alfonso Davies. You don't have the same sort of thing on the right. And that's like, I don't know, it's it's really dangerous to put to like hedge your bets on the right flank, knowing that one person kind of has to do everything themselves. Like there were so many times where Sane looked isolated. He was looking frustrated. And like I was, well, I guess unfortunate enough to be, I guess like, 10 meters away from him and this guy wants to do well i don't think anybody can criticize his his attitude about like oh does he even want to be at Bayern? like he he was at man city and they're going to be competing for big, big titles does he want to leave this guy clearly wants to play and he wants to do well but it's going to be a big struggle for him because especially in that right wing back joker position whatever you want to call it not only is he very isolated in attack he's also like he's actually doing better in the thing that he's supposedly worse at. Um, it's it's a really it's a very frustrating thing that's kind of been a problem for, for Bayern for years now. So so my thought on on the lineup was was really more like I think philosophically I like the idea of the of a three four three type shape better for Bayern um, right now given. The struggles that the de- defense has had, and um, when you have three guys kind of playing the center back type role, I th- I think that that kind of helps stir things up a little bit. But I but I think um, pretty early on, it was easy to see that there was no 
real desire from Villarreal to really come out and attack. They were perfectly content to just um, attack on the counter and um, and uh, which I think we kind of all expected to some degree. I mean, I think we we talked about it before the match that if 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 I'm Una Emery, I, I'm probably going for it a little bit more because I don't want to take the foot off the gas and then have to, you know, pick it up later. But I, I, my, my thought was I, I was surprised to not see Alfonso Davies starting and, and, and Byron playing kind of that, um, four, two, three, one kind of look. And because that's what we've been seeing for the last few weeks, it seems like, um, it seems like they rested Davies, for the uh, Freiburg match, it didn't make a lot of sense to me that he wouldn't he wouldn't have been starting um, in this match. And and I felt like he seemed to kind of come on and become you know get better and better as the first leg went on. And then in the Freiburg match, um, when he came on, he made an instant impact. Um, and so to me, it would have made a lot of sense to have him starting. At, at at left back, and then you can kind of keep that that three four three shape and attack a little bit, and keep Pavard and Umakano and uh, Hernandez just all back. But the the so all that to say, while it was really encouraging to see um, Umakano play so well. Um, I do wonder how much of that is just because they really weren't tested until Bayern scored that goal. Um, suddenly, when they had they put some speed on the pitch and were putting pressure, that's that's all of a sudden where these issues kind of started to to spring up again. And so for me, it's it seemed like the easy solution would have been just to move on Goretzka who I think did really well um, on Tuesday and, and then, and then take off, you know, I would have probably taken off Muziala um, just to kind of keep the, the experience in there and, uh, you know, shows how much I know because he, he played really well, I think to start, but the thing that's, that's been bothering me the last couple days is just thinking about how, if Lewandowski and Muller are not playing um, to their consistent level, if they're if they're starting to play inconsistently, which it has kind of been the case for a little while here, there is nobody else on that team that I feel is super duper consistent. Kimmich maybe, but I mean we saw him with some. Mm-hmm. Horrible. Yeah, I honestly, I honestly think Kimmich has not been poor, but I don't think he's been close to what we can expect out of him over the past right. several weeks. So, so what do you, what do you, what player do you feel like you can rely on when you know Lewandowski's not? He seems to be in a in a weird headspace. Mm-hmm. That's just my reading, and and like I think most people could understand why to some degree you know with the contract talks and everything and then you know he hadn't scored in two and a half matches before the Freiburg match which was like you know 
unheard of for him for a while. And then, um, and then I don't, I don't really want to go here at the, but, but you know what? Yes, I do. The, the time wasting from minute 10 mm-hmm. was a little bit much. <laughs> and like, I, I, I hate it when I hate it. If Byron does it, I hate it when anybody does it, just play the match. Like, I don't understand why a card wasn't given after the first time you warn a warn a player on a team that hey seems like you're wasting time. Um, you know that's the warning for everybody. Yeah. I don't understand why you know there was that. I I can't remember what minute it was. It was like the 33rd minute or something, and ball went out for a goal kick, and rather than picking up the ball right behind the net, the goalkeeper who just strolls over to the corner to grab a ball. And it's like, how is that not obvious time-wasting? It's like, this is not I, – I, but so that was that was frustrating. I felt like the the pressure that Coman was putting on um, – I think – I can't remember. I don't remember his name. Hoyt um, or uh, something. I don't know. The Villarreal uh, right back, I think. And um, – and he put a lot of pressure on him, got him to, you know, pick up a yellow and then probably should have got him to pick up another one. But, you know, that wasn't called. And so I agree with your assessment, Tim, earlier that you said, you know, he felt like the ref was pretty poor. I feel like there's all those excuses to have. But the fact of the matter is that they, Byron didn't, didn't dictate what VRL need to do. Viral dictated what Bayern need to do, and that's what's concerning more so than just simply losing um, a, a tie. You, you, Bayern were were told how they need to play um, by a, a weaker team. Mm-hmm. I mean, Viral may not be in the competition next year. They may not be in any European competition next year, and 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 they dictated how Bayern were going to play because Bayern weren't able. Even with the amount of possession and twice as many passes and all those things, they didn't, 23 shots, they didn't come away with any real major chances other than the goal that they scored and then the header that, um, that Miller missed. And, and, um, I just, that, that, that's the frustrating thing to me. And, and, and then we can, you know, there's, there's other things too, but right. I've talked long enough. Yeah, looking at looking at the tie as a whole, I guess my couple takeaways, um, just about you know everything is number one. It didn't seem like we had any players, any senior players step up, and I'm talking, um, I'm not talking Neuer. Neuer is going to be Manuel Neuer no matter what's going on. He's not to blame. But uh, Thomas Muller, Robert Lewandowski, Lewandowski scored on Tuesday, sure, um, and you could see the relief. In his eyes, whenever he scored, uh, but Muller missed a chance. Other than other than those chances, though, they there was not a lot happening going through Lewandowski, going through uh, Muller. Um, Joshua Kimmich, I think, was even slightly disappointing as well. Whereas guys like uh, Kingsley Coman, who won the ball back leading up to um, Lewandowski's goal, he stepped up. Uh, I think um, some of the back line stepped up. Dale Makano played well, but there a lot of the veteran guys, I think. Didn't step up when we needed him. Uh, and then number two, I think Julian Nagelsmann really was outcoached. Um, just straight up was outcoached by Unai Emery. 
Uh, Tim, I, I get, I agree with what you're saying about the squad maybe not being um, exactly up to scratch where it could be. Uh, but I th- look at the VRL squad, look at the Bayern Munich squad, and it's easy to tell which team you think should come out on top. And I think Nagelsmann was outcoached, uh, and I think that his, not necessarily just youth, but inexperience uh, was shown a little bit. I do think he, he kind of overthought it or maybe underthought it. I don't know. Um, but anyway, that being said, especially, especially that second point, I'm very much still of the opinion that Julian Nagelsmann has to be the Bayern Munich coach next year. I think that he's sure we expect better out of him, but I don't think I'm anywhere near the thought of, okay, we need to let him go. And I'm seeing a surprising amount of Bayern Munich fans who disagree with that, who are, well, okay, when I say surprising, I think there's a very vocal minority, uh, specifically on social media, because it's easy to be vocal on social media, saying that he needs to, to be gone. And so I think for the for the sake of posterity, it's a discussion that we need to have real quick that, yes, I, I largely blame Julian Nagelsmann, and I think some of the, his players did let him down as well. However, I very much expect and want to see him continue to be the Bayern coach. Would you guys agree with me on that? 100%. Yeah, same here. It's, it's not an argument. Yeah, I mean, he was... I, I totally agree. He was he 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 made some significant decisions that ended up, you know, killing Bayern. Mm-hmm. And while you're but, talking about that, not to cut in, but um, yeah. a listener who watched the game may be questioning why we're not bringing up the decision at the end of the game to sub out Lucas Hernandez and bring in Alfonso Davies, which I think you could definitely make the argument, and I did on Twitter that that directly led to the goal. Um, I think that was almost the deciding factor. Nagelsmann said that uh, Lucas had to come out with an injury, so I guess I do give him a little bit of slack there. However, I still don't think putting Davies in was the I no, and and it, like to me that was like you know then you shift things over. Mm-hmm. You don't yeah. you don't put him exactly. fresh you know off the bench. Sula, Nyanzu, there's other yeah. center backs. Um, yeah, and you talked about it earlier. If we're gonna go back to the the back three formation. There's zero reason not to put Alfonso Davies in there. I mean, that is, right. that's been his bread and butter when he was healthy, playing that Joker role on the left, put Coleman on the right. So I, I think there were some suspect well, coaching decisions. Well, the thing, and the thing is, and, um, and then you know, Tim, you can you know plug in too. Is just like we 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 we've, we've had this conversation several times over the life of this podcast and and whenever it comes to whoever is the manager and people wanting them to you know fill in the blank out right um who are you, who are you getting mm-hmm. like realistically who are you getting and the fact is is that you know for Julian Nagelsmann is is 34 years old um and and so he's very young, but clearly one of the better tactical minds. And like I like I do think he, I think sometimes with when you have such a good, um, you, you're so good at, at the tactics of things, you tend to maybe overthink things and and ask too much or maybe underexplain things because you think it's clear to everybody, um, that sort of thing. Uh, so. I, and and he's not got a lot of experience, you know, 
with this kind of match. I mean, like I know he was in a Champions League semifinal not too long ago with uh, with RB Leipzig, right? Mm-hmm. But but like it's kind of apples and oranges when you're when you're dealing with Bayern, and um, so I I think it's one of those situations where it's like I mean it's, it's year one. Mm-hmm. Let's let's deal with some disappointments and 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 hopefully learns from it. Now, if we're if we're in the same position next year and we're still talking about, you know, he made this poor decision, then I have a little bit more patience for that sort of discussion. But it it just seems incredibly premature to to start thinking about well, we need to find a new coach because another thing I want to talk about, you know, you talking about next year entertaining that thought or you know entertaining the discussions of okay what do we do with Nagelsmann I think a lot of that as well falls on um the shoulders of Hassan Salihamidzic and the board and what sort of decisions are made between now and then about the squad uh notably you know what is going to happen with Robert Lewandowski um if it wasn't for how drastically bad the game went we would be probably spending the majority of this episode talking about Lewandowski and his future. Uh, but we do probably, I guess, need to talk about that a little bit. You know, the rumors about him to Barcelona have heated up. He has remained quiet as he always does, but I think it's very clear that Pini Zahavi is um, more than testing the waters. I think he's really exploring that option. Oliver Kahn said he's not going to be sold, but what else is he going to step up and say at that point? And Honestly, if he, if no one at the club has the foresight to recognize that it would be a, the worst possible decision to keep him and let him walk for free as opposed to selling him, uh, that would just be incredibly disappointing. Um, so, I mean, does, do you think this game, and I'll ask you this one, Tim, do you think that this game is going to be enough for the board to recognize that maybe we don't need a total overhaul? Uh, but it, this may be the time to uh, maybe turn the page uh, with this squad and, and maybe move on a little bit before it's too late. I don't know if it's enough for them to to like genuinely think, okay, changes need to be made like here, here, and here. I do honestly very easily see some form of like PR statement being put out saying like, oh, we have every faith in dot 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 like the like the amount of times where we've i think it's like when Bayern were first getting linked to sane like a few years ago just before he went to man city saying like well we don't need sane because we've got robin and ribery who at that point would have been you know the wrong side of 30 and very very injury prone it's it is that reliance of we don't need this because we have this what if the thing that we currently have isn't actually that good on the day that we need it to be Mm-hmm. For example, okay, we've got the best striker in the world. What if he ghosts the entire game? I think this. I, I'm my my timeline with Robert Lewandowski has been complicated because I was I was excited when he first arrived, but I really liked Mandzukic, so I was sad about that. I then didn't like him because I thought this guy has got too much of an ego. He's got too much of an attitude. And then just very quickly, all of the the rumors of him wanting to go started picking up. And then all of a sudden he was going. And then my guy Kovac, I realize I've gotten like 30 minutes into this without mentioning him. I think it's only fair that I do it Congratulations. now. Thank you very much. It's, it's great to be here. 
um, that like that whole thing changed, and all of a sudden, under Kovac, he took on more of a playmaker approach, or he was certainly more involved in the team, and he seemed to be working for the betterment of the team as a whole. And that was kind of enough for me to think, yeah, this was this is what I've wanted like all along. Like I've wanted to see that guy work really, really hard, and then to see him be so crucial in in like the following seasons and getting forty one goals. I think that's great, but then. The rumours of him wanting to leave start coming back. And then in tandem with that, the performances haven't been anywhere close to like an audition for another club. He's just, it seems like he's, I, I don't know, may, maybe I am looking at this in a biased way, thinking that he needs to have been doing better. Um, but I, I think banking on, you know, the we've got the best player in the world. He has regularly disappointed there is that whole conversation of Lewandowski doesn't show up in big games. Well, actually, here's like some good evidence to suggest that he has actually performed really well there. I, I look at him and I look at Benzema and in terms of delivering in big games or like being there when you need him to be, oh man, it annoys me so much that there is an argument for Benzema being better than Lewandowski right now. Oh, absolutely. That Just whole, based on yeah. the past... Like, if we're talking 2022, easily. Yeah, 100%. This is a because there's one guy that scores the goals for the team that wins the games. And then there's the other guy that wins the games. You know, if, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yeah, like, yeah, what yeah. Benzema does is, is a much more holistic approach to being a forward. Because even when he had Cristiano Ronaldo, Benzema was still considered one of the best centre forwards in the world. But he took a back seat because he knew that he could do that for the other guys. Like he took the back seat to Ronaldo and to Bale. And then when it came time to shine, he did. And even now he takes, he doesn't necessarily take the back seat, but he still offers that room to, to guys like Vinicius or, or Rodrigo or whoever it is. And so it's, it's kind of, it's almost hilarious mm. in a way, if it wasn't so impossibly sad that, Robert Lewandowski's Ballon d'Or campaign is over in a way. I know that that's like a really, that's quite a bold and very broad generic statement to make. But if you, if you want to win the Ballon d'Or, you need to be putting in performances like Mo Salah does. Okay. This, like the last few weeks haven't been a fantastic example of that, but you need to be taking games by the scruff of the neck to use that really dumb English football punditry adage of you need to show some passion. You do. It's 100% accurate. You need to be able to show that because if the entire club is banking on you showing up at that point and you don't, you can't in all honesty ask for 23 million euros a season and then not expect some form of backlash as a result. I don't know. I, I realize it's so much more complicated than than how I would make it seem in my head. But there is, I don't know, there, there are big things that need to be asked of this, of like the squad management mm-hmm. and, and squad planning. Um, and, and I completely agree. The idea of, I, I'm much more for selling him now than I am seeing him leave for free next year to a team that's competing for the same titles right. that Bayern are competing for in Europe. I think it's it's so dangerous and far too common losing Sula to Dortmund, Alaba to to Real Madrid, 
um, this this goes back to Tony Cruz. Like, I realised that was a different situation and he never really wanted to be at the club in the first place. But maybe that's like quite similar to Lewandowski. Yep. Maybe his aspirations are elsewhere. It's it's really irritating that it that this is such a regular occurrence. And at this point, I'm more than happy to mm-hmm. say thanks for everything that you've done, but we need to start planning for the future now. No, no, I, I agree 100%. I think it was um, last week, maybe, Garrett, you talked about needing, maybe the squad just needs to have things shaken up a little bit. I'm not 100% sure that I believe this, but I think part of me thinks Nagelsmann would be better without Lewandowski. I think that I think that Lewandowski is such a such a good player, such an important player on the pitch that when you have someone like that, you are basically forced to build around them. Uh, and Nagelsmann's career as a, as a head coach has been relatively short, but when you look at it, He's never never played a system that really relied on one overwhelmingly just amazing striker that you build around. Of course, there's Timo Werner, but Timo Werner always played best off of um, another striker. And so, so I say all that to say, look at this team. I think Nagelsmann may be a better coach with the freedom to not have to play someone like Robert Lewandowski and build around that player to tinker with you know, the attacking system with a, maybe let's play with two strikers. Maybe let's play with uh, a false nine. Let's, you know, whatever, whatever you want to throw in there and not having it to be, okay, we're going to play with Lewandowski up top and we're going to put Muller behind him because if you're at Bayern Munich, that's what you have to do. Um, and I'm not trying to speak ill of those two players, but there could also very well be what we were all kind of, you know, the one thing we were worried about with Nagelsmann coming in is that the older guys wouldn't, the star players that, you know, there would be some sort of friction there. And sure enough, after the game on Tuesday, there's a report that two senior players aren't on board with his tactics. And it doesn't take uh, doesn't take a genius to look at that and say, okay, that's probably Thomas Muller and Robert Lewandowski. I think that Nagelsmann's system, his ideal system, may be a system without Robert Lewandowski. Um, I don't know. That, may, that, that very well may not be true. I could just be I- speaking you know, total, total garbage. Well, well, I don't, I kind of had the same thought in terms of just, I mean, just from a personal level, like we like to think these are professional athletes. Like they know what the job is and they don't care, you know, who their manager is so much as long as they, you know, they're getting their minutes, they're getting put in the best positions, all that stuff. Um, And to, to some degree, I think that is true, but I also think just from a personal standpoint, like if, you know, a guy comes in and he's either the same age as me or, you know, younger than me. And he's asking, he's telling me to do stuff. Even if I want to buy in, it's going to be really difficult because it's still like that aspect of like, well, but do you really think, you know, more than I do? I mean, I'm on the pitch. You're and, and I, and, and Nagelsmann hasn't had like a, high level career as yep. a as a footballer. He was a, like a and, second division like center back. Exactly. So it's so it be, does become very easy I think for a guy and not necessarily speaking ill of them like you said like it's just like it's just kind of human nature and so like to me I I think it's very possible that that Bayern have to decide that like you know listen this is the what we think is best for the club if we think Julian Nagelsmann is the best for the club going forward, you know, guys like 
Lewandowski. And quite frankly, as much as I hate to say it, even Thomas Muller, Manuel Neuer, guys like that, we we think you have a lot to offer, and we think that you you know have still a, a you know bright few years ahead of you, and we'd love for you to do to do it here. But if you can't find yourself buying in and being willing to potentially even be doing that from the bench. Um, if, if the coach thinks that you're in a better, uh, uh, that, that, that he has a better player for that role, then, then maybe it is best for everybody to move on. And it doesn't have to be this contentious thing. Mm-hmm. It just has to be just honest. And, and I don't know, you know, we, we don't have any inside information to know what kind of conversations are going on. But but the the fact of the matter is that the, you know like not even twenty four hours after the match, where it, it Nagelsmann made some comments that were poor, mm-hmm. um, you know, in terms of you know seem, seemingly throwing Mueller under the bus and acting like you know well you know it it these things happen that sort of thing. Oliver Kahn making you know uh, kind of poo pooing the the whole thing. Um, we only we only can play off of what we see in in, in the media and in, in public and 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 so I do think there is this almost like business as usual. We'll just keep right. we'll figure it out. Like whatever, not a big deal. But I and I think as fans, we want to see that you recognize that there is a, a bigger issue mm-hmm. at play here than just we lost, we dropped out of a Champions League. That happens, and, and 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 quite frankly, I mean, the other thing is just like you know, for 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 us, you know, we went came from winning every trophy you possibly could, and so there is some level of um, being a uh, being a, a victim of your own success. Um, but you know, at this point, Bayern are looking at their tenth straight Bundesliga championship. While that is, that has to be the priority every single year. That has to be at this point kind of a minimum, mm-hmm. rather than you know, hey, we won the Bundesliga. This is a successful year because until another Bundesliga or two Bundesliga teams rise up and kind of challenge Bayern for that, it's it's not it's it's just kind of expected and not um, it it just it just doesn't reflect well in the club that you know. We're fine with that, and I don't think that Bayern, as a club, that that's who they are, and and so it it's just it's very frustrating to see. And I do think, I think obviously no, hundred percent this is recency bias, and I know in like three weeks could have a totally different opinion. But we're fans. This is what we do. Yeah, no, I, I I think it's time to move on, mm-hmm. and so do I. And I don't want this to be the you know. We'll, we'll have plenty of time, I assume, to talk about Robert Lewandowski and his future between now and whenever that is decided. But I imagine if Sebastian was here, he would speak to the fact that imagine this result happened underneath Karl-Heinz Rummenigge and, and Uli Honus. There's no way that changes aren't made, I guess, underneath those two guys. Um, and so you look at it now and you see the leadership, you see... You know, Khan's initial statements aren't exactly promising in terms of uh, what you said, Garrett, about hoping they recognize that this isn't just 
oh, okay, we lost, it happened. I mean, no disrespect to Villarreal, but they are seventh in La Liga. You look at the squads, and it's very obvious who should be coming out on top. But at the same time, this isn't the first, I guess, warning sign we've seen this season. And, and they, so, they haven't played. They haven't played well this entire uh, Rukunda. Yeah, it's been the, the entire 2022. They've been struggling to mm-hmm. to find a groove. So yeah. And so, whatever that may be, um, my goodness, I hope this game is the catalyst to taking care of some of those issues. Uh, so, um, Tim, we're gonna have to wrap this one up pretty quickly. But any uh, any closing remarks from you um, regarding? you know, what we just talked about with, with the, the management and everything. Yeah, I, I think to, to follow on from what Garrett said, I, I do agree that, that there is that that slight black cloud of seeing that Nagelsmann's come in or can he handle like the, the bigger personalities? Like, is he going to be able to manage people that are, that are older than him? I, I do think that that is like quite a, I do think it's a good topic. And the, the concept of looking at Neuer, Muller and Lewandowski are saying like you need to you need to buy into this and um, otherwise buy or, or whatever it is yeah I, I do think that's I do think that's very valid I I don't know if it's just the way that I've been brought up or like the the school that I went to or just like how I have been told to like interact with other people I can't help but feel that that is a conversation that shouldn't have to happen like I I think I'm I'm so like vehemently of the opinion that whoever the manager is the players respect that and they have to like they have to get on board um i I get that like sometimes it isn't easy when if you've got a guy that has like such a hands-off approach like carlo ancelotti then yeah you do kind of have to take matters into your own hands and say to somebody hey look this isn't this isn't working for us we need something else but then the, the idea of like the what was the report was saying that like two people have privately been criticizing Nagelsmann ta- Nagelsmann's tactics. If it's private, why are we finding out about it? That's mm-hmm. not private. That's yeah. that's like very public. Like it's so easy to have a conversation with somebody and then not have somebody find out about it. Like it's I don't know. It's it's all a bit suspicious, and I feel like that sort of thing needs to be avoided forever. I think the second that you have that, the idea that if if one or two people, one person in particular, isn't happy with how with how this whole thing is going, that shouldn't be that shouldn't be like the first straw breaks the camel's back. It needs to be this. It needs to be like this much bigger situation where you have to kind of abide by the manager regardless. Because they're the ones in charge. They were, you know, a world record fee, like the most expensive manager in football history. They were bought in. They are dynamic. They have versatility and in, interesting and different ways of approaching a game. And if you can't get behind that and you're almost like stuck in the way that Bayern have been for the past 10, 12 years or so. And while I get that has worked, it there needs to be a point where you say, we need to start thinking of another generation mm-hmm. and or like another era for Bayern. You need to have that Bayern and it should be automatic in my opinion. And I don't think that it has to be either, you know, and I don't think you guys are saying this either. It doesn't have to be like, well, whatever Nagelman says, you have to do it. You know, I mean, I think there can be this, this, uh, you know, working together and just saying, Hey, listen, 
if if it comes down to it, we're picking Nagelsmann over you because we think that this is how we need to move forward. But like, so hopefully Nagelsmann's having the conversations with these players and saying, "Listen, this is what I want to do. You know, what do you need from me to to do that?" And 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 I think Nagelsmann is the kind of manager that's able to to work those things in and, and work around and say, okay, we're going to put you in the best position, but, but this is how we need to play moving forward. Right. And if you can't get on that, we can find somewhere else to go. It reminds me not to make this a, a different podcast, but um, I was listening to a, uh, a podcast from the athletic and they were interviewing uh, Nashville predators, uh, hockey player, mm-hmm. woo-hoo. you know, woohoo, go Preds, everybody. Absolutely. Watch the Preds, cheer for the Preds. Um, but they were interviewing Matt Duchesne, and he was talking about um, he's having one of the best years of his career um, at you know in his thirties, and uh, and and they were talking about like what what changed, like how how you know his first two years in Nashville were not good. When he said that he talked with the man, the 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 coach, um, who I don't even think is all that great of a coach, but but the point being, they talked about it, and he said these are the things I need from you. What do you need from me? And they work together to figure out what the what would work. And because it's about the team, it's not about mm-hmm. you know individuals. And and if we if you need to go somewhere else, if they need to you know move you on to a different place so that you can be successful and the club can be successful, and that's the way it needs to go. Otherwise, both sides are going to be unhappy. Both sides are going to just kind of crumble. And so, I, hopefully, that's what's happening. But mm-hmm. but to to your point, Tim deference needs to be given to the manager not the player Hmm. well fitting you bring up the preds because i'm going to go watch them beat the edmonton oilers tonight um but that's that's a little bit a little bit unrelated uh what is related though is that byron have five games left in the season and i think that there's a lot of um expectation from fans to, to how they respond and i think how the team responds not only this weekend but for the rest of the season is going to tell us a lot about um, the team, Julian Nagelsmann as a coach a little bit, even the players and whether or not they're willing to, to buy in, like you all say, uh, but we'll find that out soon. Well, that is all the time that we have for this episode. I know we could keep uh, talking more and more if we wanted, but if you've enjoyed listening and if you are a regular fan of the podcast and you haven't done this already, please do us a favor and leave us a five-star review. We'd greatly appreciate that. Uh, and if you want to get in touch with us, there are a few ways that you can do that. You can email us at super, superbyronpod at gmail.com. You can go follow us over on Twitter at superbyronpod and keep up to date with us there. All of our episodes can be found on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast. We're probably going to be there. Uh, as always, thank you for listening. Go out and tell your friends, and we'll talk to you next time.